just watching how he interacted in a war-torn country, right? So just seeing how he interacted with his customers, running a shop, uh, with his suppliers, uh, with people in general and how he got the best out of people and how he was able to deliver this service, uh, which no one, I believe, was doing at that time. So that was, for me, the first start and I just pumped pumps Mark with questions. How do you, what do you, uh, what happens when this happens? And I, I took that with every single customer that we ever had. Welcome to the Navali podcast, Behind the Bathrooms, where we talk about bathrooms, business, and everything in between. My name is Ben, and me and my co-host, Steve Nokovic, started this podcast to share insights and experiences to help people out there who are starting their own business. In future episodes, we want to explore more about sharing tips and advice on renovating bathrooms, but for this episode, it'll be mostly about the business of renovating bathrooms. Today's episode is the first part of the mini-series, The Story of Navali, where I interview Steve about his early beginnings in the renovation space, how he started Navali, how he grew it, and where he plans to take the business. In this episode, part one, you'll learn about Steve's developing his skills in tiling and business through his father, learning about how to give great customer experience from his uncle in war-torn Croatia, as well as how he grew his business in a sustainable way in refining his operations. We hope you enjoy this episode, part one of the story of Navali. <laughs> okay, well, welcome back to the podcast, Steve. How are you feeling today? Good. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for setting this up again. No worries. It's a new new, new conference room, is it? Yep, new boardroom that we built. We outgrew the uh, original one, so yeah. Yeah, it feels really nice. A little bit bigger. So we, we wanted to start this mini-series, The Story of Navali, to really learn about your your story, about how you started the business and kind of going through the journey of how you started, you know, started working as a tiler with your dad, then transitioning off into and doing your own venture and then seeing that and then kind of seeing where that grew and scaling that up and then to the point of where Navali is now and then seeing um, where Navali is going to go in the future. So that's what the series is all about. And it's really to kind of help people out there kind of who are starting their own business, whether that's in, you know, the trade industry, bathroom renovations or anything else, how that really um, worked out for you and how we can kind of share best case practices and lessons learned. So I guess we're just going to jump right in and I think start at the beginning. Um, so you started off as a tiler? Yep. Uh, grew up in the Hills District. Uh, like many of my mates, uh, wanted to do a trade. Uh, school, I enjoyed school. I liked school. I was okay at school but I didn't have the drive to be at school um so I looked for an apprenticeship or to do an apprenticeship uh and thankfully my father's a tiler wall and floor tiler and I did work with him you know on and off let's say weekends or holidays and bits and pieces and and I quite enjoyed it so I started my apprenticeship uh with him in I think it would have been 90 95 uh 96 and um it was a pretty easy transition I guess going from school to working uh, with my father in a trade Uh, I did complete my year 10 certificate and then left sort of uh, in the fourth term there so that that was my first start into uh, the workforce I guess yeah and did you always want to be a tiler at that point Uh, I looked at 
other things, I guess, when I was younger, like real estate and things like that. But um, happy to work with my hands and happy to, you know, uh, sort of work with my father and and it wasn't like I had an absolute desire to be a wall and floor tiler, but I actually really thoroughly enjoyed doing the trade. Yeah. And what was it like working with your dad? Uh, I, I'm, I'd say I'm very lucky because uh, working with my dad was quite easy. Um, I would say in the, you know, probably 10 years that we worked together, I, I don't think we even had an argument. So he, And that's not because of me, that's cause of, more because of him because he's, he's very easygoing. Uh, I think the biggest benefit now, you know, 20-something years later, looking at the biggest benefit working with my father and the personality that he's got is he allowed mistakes to happen without there being, you know, a consequence of, you know, you can't do this and you can't do that. Things happened, we just moved on. And basically I would say within six months of my apprenticeship started starting, I was going to do work uh, after hours. I was tiling splashbacks and doing little jobs, bits and pieces. So I'd probably make in an afternoon more than my whole wage by just doing small jobs. Um, but that was on the back of my dad actually teaching me and allowing me to make mistakes. I didn't get to like fourth year apprenticeship and not know how to do my trade. Yeah. I, I knew my trade really early on in my um, in my time, I guess. And again, it goes back to being taught properly, being allowed to make mistakes and, um, yeah, working with someone of my dad's personality was was easy. And just having that kind of failure kind of expected that your dad kind of built that in the whole process environment that gave you the confidence to really kind of um, kind of learn and be kind of work harder. And yeah, there of- wasn't a fear of, oh, if you, if you stuff that up, there's a problem. If something happened, we just fixed it, sorted it out yeah. and just moved on, so... Yeah, and did that help you kind of learning through those experiences, those mistakes? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Look, I'm pretty proactive in my approach with everything and I have been since I was young. So I would see and I would watch and, you know, I'm not saying there was there would have been major mistakes, but there's always little things that you do. You, you break a tile or you crack something or you cut it wrong and it's like there was never a, why didn't you do it like this? It's just like, okay, go do it again. Yeah. And you just, just learn and learn and learn and get better and better. Did you learn about processes and like systems and kind of the operating operating side of working on a project? Uh, I would say looking back now, uh, the way we operated were, um, was super efficient. So, you know, and, and I, I sort of didn't realise that I was learning these things until later on you go, oh, okay, are you sort of going through the, the motion of being on a site and, you know, you wouldn't walk from one place to another place. Let's say you're working in a, I don't know, we did work everywhere, like commercial, residential. Uh, if you're walking from, you know, up a flight of stairs, you're carrying something up that flight of stairs and when you come back, you're bringing something back. you always got something in your hands. You're always moving. You're never stopping. You're always planning ahead. And that was, that was sort of just naturally built in from my father and the way we operated. And that I'd say that's sort of by luck that he was like that and then I got to learn uh, efficient ways of doing pretty much everything. Uh, the, the way we operated, um, I'd say there'd be two of us, me and my father, and at the speed that we would work, and this is no compromise on quality, but the speed that we would work would be probably equivalent to four or five guys. So they'd actually come on site and there'd be multiple tilers and they'd say, actually, you know, you guys need to leave. <laughs> 
and we're going to get, you know, Bronco and his son to, to go in there and actually tile it um, because, of, because of the efficiency that we had. Wow. Yeah. And was, did that just come, as you said, came naturally, but did that kind of help that there was a culture of that, of um, being as efficient as possible and everyone on the team having that same mindset? Yeah. So it was, at the end of the day, I look at it and I go, well, my, I'm one of five children. My dad worked. Um, my mum did work at home, as in bringing up us children. And when you're, let's say, not on a salary or wages and you're making money based on how much you produce, um, you come up with the most efficient ways to do something. So because my father did that, bringing up five children, I naturally just sort of fell into the most efficient way to do things. Right. And then um, what point during this whole journey working with your dad that you decided to kind of go off and do your own thing? With my with my father, um, we, we worked. So we were subcontractors to a contractor. We weren't, we, didn't, we weren't running a business. We just went and worked and tiled and however many square metres we laid, that's how much we got paid. Uh, my father wasn't really uh, one to want to go into business and take that risk and the, the hassle and the headache that comes with, I guess, running a business. So there was a point I think I was I had my second child and he was at the stage of retiring and I sort of wanted to move on and, and go into actually bathrooms. I wanted to start renovating bathrooms, so I sort of moved on and he retired and I just kept going from there. Wow. And what was that like kind of going off on your own? Like was Did you have a plan or strategy going forward or was it just kind of figuring it out as you go? Uh, look, there's a little bit of – there's a lot of figuring it out as you go, but I, I just wanted to deliver – good quality work and um, top-notch service to whoever I work for. So that was sort of the start of it. And I would say doing that in the beginning and then getting the referral sort of forced me to get some help. Uh, I was lucky, I guess, in my first hire um, with his name was Mark. Uh, He's a bloody very nice guy, honest guy, hard worker, loyal, did everything um, so I was lucky to have him actually, he called me and said, uh, Steve, I want to do tiling. Can I have an apprenticeship? And I just said, yes. So he came on board and then same thing, deliver the service, um, more referrals, more work. And then we just slowly grew from there. So next sort of hire wasn't a full-time hire, but it was more of a subcontractor role. And we just uh, grew like that. And at this point where you, so you're, you're doing subcontracting work, um, what was that like kind of working for businesses as opposed to being a business owner? Yeah, so at that point, <clears throat> I would have been a contractor for builders. So builders are, I don't know, they, they, weren't, they weren't new homes. I'd say they were extensions or renovations and we would go in there and we would just take all the pressure off the builder and make sure all the tiling aspect and more often than not, I think we did the waterproofing probably half, half the time. And um, it was it was good because I got to be part of some of the discussions with the owners and get an understanding of where the builder uh, responsibilities sort of were passed on to me as the tiler, making sure that the tiling happened. Uh, and then I would sort of, uh, I'd actually probably sort of almost take over the builder when it came to uh, the communication with the customer when it came to the tiling and then I'll just take take that away from. So I actually quite enjoyed the customer interaction and then managing that whole process and making sure we delivered to 
the builder and then as the builder being my customer and the the resident, I guess, being the builder's customer, I just did everything I could to make sure that the builder's life was as easy as possible. Right. And in terms of the builder, actually, so um, who was kind of your first client in in this point in time? Uh, For... I remember when we first moved away from contracting to tiling, uh, subcontracting to tiling contractors, I did. I put an ad in the paper for tiling. It was actually tiling at this stage. And um, I got a couple of builders from there and just started working for them, who I still actually have a relationship with today. Um, and and that was the first first start. And I think I did that for six months and I just I let it go. I didn't need to advertise and I just kept building up clients that way. And I did the tiling part, I guess, for a few years before I started renovating bathrooms. And you just built those connections over time and it was just kind of referrals from there. Yeah, pretty much. Well, builder will have a fair bit of work throughout the year. So you only need a handful of builders. Then you've got a few residential clients and just, just very slowly. You were talking before about delivering the best experience as um, a subcontractor. Could you go more into how you did you deliver this experience and how you and maintained delivering a great experience each job? So when let's say when we were subcontracting to for a, uh, a tiling contractor, we just made sure that we took all the pressure off the site supervisor. So we would we would uh, have the discussions with the architect on site, with the project managers on site, and going back to you know working with my father, I was doing that probably from. 16 because my my dad let's say his English was good but he was happy for me to deal with the managing and the organizing of it um and that was a big big benefit to me so from probably yeah like I said the age of 16 I'm dealing with the architects on the jobs the project managers the sites whoever's sort of where we're reporting to or making sure that the jobs uh that they're making sure that the job's ready for us so I would just do exactly what's in the scope very compliant, follow it, make sure I take the pressure off them um, and give them I – just, I just give them what they, what they wanted and what they needed. And they just um, trusted you as a 16-year-old? To- oh, I think I looked a lot more older than what I was. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, and and it didn't, it's funny because it actually didn't matter. As long as we delivered uh, what was needed, that, that didn't come into play. And I'm guessing your, reputa- your reputation built from like all these projects and then people started kind of understanding like who you were and you're reliable uh, and yeah. you, you're transparent. Well, it came as well. I'm working with my father. So my father's got the, um, you know, the relationship as well already. So wow. the trust is already built. Yeah. So then um, at what point did you decide to start your own business as opposed to being a subcontractor? Um, it, look, it's hard because I think the definition of business is a little bit, you know, everyone's got their own definition of it. And when I was working for people, I, I don't think now looking back, it wasn't really running a business. I was just working for myself. Uh, but when I really decided to <clears throat> start a business as uh, after tiling and wanting to start renovating bathrooms, which came on the back of tiling for bathroom renovators or a couple of bathroom renovators and seeing the level of service and um, delivery that they did, I thought I could probably do that a lot better. So I just sort of, from that point, we sort of decided to, okay, this is now a business and we've got to uh, take it to the next level, I guess. And then did that mean that you had to not just focus on tiling now, you had to focus on the entire 
constructing. Yeah, numbers. Yeah. How am I going to get a customer? Um, yeah. Back then, it was you know a website. You had to have a website, and you had to get your business cards and set up the the legal side. I guess through um, we did it through our accountant yeah. uh, buying an off the shelf company and things like that. So yeah, it was that. That's how it sort of first started at that point. And how did you? I guess did you kind of just pick up all the knowledge and expertise of the other areas that you you weren't doing before, and just kind of naturally just brought that along? Uh, well, I would. I've been watching <clears throat> since I was a, a kid, and I'd ask lots of. I, I would even say going back as far as. Um, and a, and a massive influence for me was when I went on holidays to see my uncle uh, in the former Yugoslavia in Croatia. He he's a like to me he's a true businessman, and I was fourteen and had the ability to spend probably about six or seven weeks with him. And what I learned in that six or seven weeks as a fourteen year old, I believe, was a, a massive part of my business journey just watching how he interacted in a war-torn country right so just seeing how he interacted with his customers running a shop uh, with his suppliers uh, with people in general and how he got the best out of people and how he was able to deliver this service uh, which no one I believe was doing at that time so that was for me the first start and I just pumped pumps Michael with questions. How do you, what do you, uh, what happens when this happens? And I, I took that with every single customer that we ever had. So if we were working on, I don't know, we're working uh, in a house with a customer who was a business owner or in business or in management or whatever, I'd be asking questions just, and they were also willing to help because I was young and they're all willing to help with um, direction uh, answers on, on whatever questions it was. It's, it was simple as how did you start? How long did it take? You know, um, you know, what hours do you work? Do you have to work on something? Do you have to start it? Like anything and everything. I would just ask question after question um, because I was interested in how people did it. So I think just an accumulation of of that that got me going. And then you get to a point where it's like, well, actually, I probably need help in this. And then you go and seek out the person that you think can help you with with that. Right. And I kind of think um, that kind of kind of enlightens the fact that if you don't know something, you can just ask. It's not that scary. And people are really surprisingly, they're willing to share. 100%. If anyone asks me anything, I just, I just answer it. And like, I'm more than happy to share uh, anything and everything. Yeah. And then I guess the, the gaps that you had, you just kind of would, um, would you say hire out or find help and like say for like yeah. the admin side, I'm guessing you, you hired an accountant to kind of help you with yeah, that. Yeah, I had, uh, yeah, well, I had an accountant in the beginning that, yeah. you know, I'd prepare what I could for the accountant. Um, you'd probably laugh at the stuff I would have given my accountant back then, but that's that's how I would have started. Uh, I had my, one of my sisters help me a lot in the setup of the documentation with spreadsheets and things like that. Um, I did have an admin person quite early on to help with uh, the back-end stuff because I was focusing on on site and because I knew I wasn't the best at those things. I knew what I wanted and what I needed, but I actually didn't really want to do that function. And then, yeah, everything else um, I, I would source out. 
I would try and learn what I can, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to be working on something like I'm not very good at computers. I'm not very good at setting things up, so I'd rather ask for that to be done by someone who can do it properly. But I know the, the difference is I know what I need and I know how it needs to look and, and I know what result I want at the end of it. I just don't want to be able to – I'm not going to go and create a spreadsheet. Personally, I'm not going to go do that. Yeah. Um, I'd rather invest my time in something else. And do you feel like that made a huge difference than you trying to do everything or just missing things? I, I, I tried in the beginning and not even the admin side – I remember as a Tyler um, wanting to sort of grow up, I did it probably four or five times and I went, I'm going to do everything. I don't be able to do And it's like, you can't, you just, you just can't. Because if I'm on a site, who's answering the phone? I'm busy mixing glue in a bucket. I'm not picking up the phone. So I had to sort of make a break of, um, you know, allocate time for work and then allocate time for for the other parts of the business, I guess. Yeah. And at what point did um, Navali come into the picture? Uh, Navali's, it's only a few years old, five, five, six years old, but it's just a name change. So I've been renov- renovating bathrooms uh, closer to probably 14 years, but I've been tiling, let's say, bathrooms for 20-something years. Um, but, but the Renovation side, yeah, it's about 14 years. Uh, we were <clears throat> originally, uh, same company name, uh, but originally Nov Bathrooms and then uh, I had everyone call us Nova and I swapped, swapped that out because I had people who were working for us calling us another name <laughs> and I thought, oh, it's too confusing and then I, we went to Bathroom Elegance, uh, and we, which we still have these trading names. Um, and then when we went to sort of, take this business really to the next level and take it seriously and try and grow something that's, you know, try and create something that's going to grow substantially. We wanted a name that we could trademark and register and we couldn't do that with uh, Bathroom Elegance. So I remember sitting with the lawyers and it was, um, you're going to have to change your name. And I said, oh, no, we're not going to change our name. I don't want to because we've spent the last few years building up the name. And, you know, back and forth, back and forth, um, we just we changed it because we couldn't register that name. And, you know, they said something along the lines of, at the end of the day, it's not the name, it's the, the product and service that we sort of deliver, right? So um, five, six years ago, yeah, we decided to change the name to something that wasn't a generic word. Um, it's a made-up name. The first three letters are the first three letters of my last name. And we were able to trademark it. Do you feel like that whole journey was worth it for the name? Uh, yeah, because I'm a, like a long-term sort of thinker. I'm, I'm not thinking one year or two years or five years. I'm thinking 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. So down the track. So some of the, some of the decisions I remember even making the first month or the first year, let's say, of renovating bathrooms, I remember going, I don't need this now, but I'm going to need it. So I'll, I do a lot of things now, not for now. They're for, they're for five years down the track or maybe even 10 years down the track. There's a lot of things. Like in the beginning, we're collecting data on things that we didn't need at that point, but I knew I needed it. And it, it comes into play. 100% comes into play down the track. And do you feel that that's something that um, business owners can do more of, kind of plan like further ahead than just a short term? Yeah, I think more business owners can you know, be a little bit more um, patient uh, 
and uh, long-term focus instead of short-term um, decisions and money decisions that get made on this short-term, um, you know, like as an example, let's say uh, we'll have someone making a decision to save a day's labour today because they're, they're not willing to invest in someone else doing that job. Um, that forces them to be on site, which then stops them going out and either getting business or building up a team or doing something which they don't benefit for, I don't know, two months, three months down the track, maybe six months down the track, but they're worried about today. So um, today's we've sorted today out. We're worried about what's happening down the track. Right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back shortly. Hey everyone, we hope you're enjoying the episode so far. This podcast is really to help you, the listeners out there, start a business and renovate your bathroom. So Steve and I would love to hear your feedback on this episode or even the podcast in general. So if you have any thoughts, feel free to send a message through Novali Facebook or Instagram found in the show notes. All right, now back to the episode of part one of the story of Navali. All right, well, welcome back and picking back off where we left off, Steve. So we we're just talking about um, just how you're, you're you're working with your business and how Navali's the name kind of came about and how that and planning ahead and just running on that same track at this point in time. Um, so you've had the business Navali, the name's come out. You've been around for a couple of years. Um, how big was your team at this point? Oh, uh, at that time, we had uh, I had uh, admin person. I had uh, full-time, two full-time guys and everyone else, actually I had, sorry, three, three full-time guys, uh, but one wasn't like a, a wage earner, let's say he was more of a subcontractor who still did work every now and then for someone else um, and myself. So, and then obviously on top of that, there was uh, accountants and, and sort of external people to help. Yeah, and what kind of um, kind of inspired you to in, like hire more people? It, it, did it just come organically that you just saw the need? Okay, I need this person in this case, and I need that in this position. Yeah, I think everything's sort of come org- organically, so the works come through, and I've just had to find a way to be able to do, service that work, and that was just either through um, help administratively. Or, or help on on site. And how did you find these people? Were they just family and friends, or people you've worked with before? Uh, first, first one, yep, family. Uh, not uh, one's family. Um, other ones, very good friends. Um, another one, I believe, was somehow through word of mouth. Um, admin was an ad, an ad through one of the mums groups, something like that, and um, from. From there, uh, the first group was done like that, and then after after uh, the first few people that I had on, then it was more along the lines of you know ads on Seek and Indeed and things like that. Yeah, and, and did you have like a hiring philosophy um, back then? Uh, it was uh, it was very gut instinct. <laughs> you know, um, I don't think the pool was that great. You know, it's not like you had a, a choice of, you know, out of 100 people you could select two and um, we sort of ha- had good people and um, 
sort of it was more an honesty thing, you know, if the guys were honest and and um just good people, the rest we we taught. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really that kind of started the whole philosophy of hiring on attitude rather than just purely on skills, right? And has that kind of paid off for you in the long run as well? Yeah, I'd say at the end of the day, you know, even all the people that we have currently, um, and I think we're at 20, 20 like full-time staff, uh, each and every single one of them at the core, they're honest, good people. And the skills we teach or we put them in the right place. So it's still definitely relevant today, yeah. Yeah, I've spoken with a lot of businesses that they have that same philosophy and it's paid off a lot more than the opposite if you just get really skilled technicians but they they don't have the necessary attitude or that same culture fit. And going in there, it just it doesn't have that same dynamic when you're working every day, and it kind of affects the project in the end as well. So, and and our guys are skilled. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> but but they're um, yeah. we're not hiring on them being the best technician. Put it that way. And then, did you have sort of um, a system and environment put in place? And when when Navali just started to kind of onboard these new new hires, or was uh, it kind it was of touch very, and go? Very organic. It was just you know I was you know heavily involved on site still at that point. So uh, you know I, I did a lot of hand holding and sort of helped get that through. So yeah, I didn't. I wasn't really relying on having lots of documentation and onboarding processes as we do sort of now. Uh, I was I was heavily involved in everyone who was part of the business anyway. Let's track back to, um, let's say, like just the first, I think, first client you did when you kind of yeah. started the, the business side. Um, what was that like um, compared to now? Yeah, that, that's interesting. Look, so I actually dug up just the other day, I, f- I found the very first contract that I did. Uh, I remember it was a gentleman in Castle Crag. Um, I knew him through another client. So the, there was already some kind of, let's say, uh, relationship there. He asked me to come and quote his bathroom. Uh, he wanted, he wanted uh, me to do the job because he saw the tiling that I did at his house um, through, like I said, another mutual client. And, yeah, the first job was priced. You know, basically I went and got prices from all, all the subcontractors that I was going to use, like the plumber and the electrician and... Uh, there was a bit of carpentry in there and just worked out my price, gave him a, a quote. Uh, looking back at that quote slash contract now, it was, you know, no capital letters and it was pretty simple, but we all, again, we all start from somewhere. And, um, yeah, it was, that was my first bathroom renovation um, in 08. I'd say. And how was the experience? Did you deliver a great customer experience? Yeah, I, I believe I was very, very hands-on, very tensive, did everything right. I, I do remember an issue on that job. Uh, the client supplied a Villaroy and Bock toilet, an expensive toilet. Uh, when it got fitted out, it, the, it, it did leak. So we, we replaced the toilet <clears throat> Um, when we pulled the toilet out, it did break. So we just got a new one and put it back in. Um, and I, rem- I remember clearly I know where I was standing and the conversation and the customer thought we put in a different type of toilet. 
but we had the old one to show him because the um, the sand and cement on the side, because they we weren't siliconing toilets in the very first few bathrooms that we did. Uh, they were all bedded in and um, the, gra- the sand and cement didn't have time to dry. So what he thought the original one was. Anyway, so we cleared that up and, um, yeah, that was the only hiccup on that job. Um, and again, that was something we learned, making sure that something's done right the first time and, you know, making sure things are tested and, and connected properly. So, uh, yeah, experience overall would have been absolutely fine. And then how did you, um, communicate this issue to the client in a way? Did just you as like just we do now, know? just, just let him know transparently, like the, the toilet's leaking. Um, we've got to have to, we, pu- we pulled it out. We, we let him know because when we pulled it out, we broke it. We had to get yeah. another one. Otherwise, we just would have fixed it. Um, it's just as simple as that. It's not complicated at all. It's just this has happened and we're, we're rectifying it. And they were, they were 100% fine with it. And then in the end, it was a, a great bathroom and they were happy That's with it. That's exactly right, yeah. As long as we take care of it and we don't put any pressure on them, it's fine. Right. And then how did you um, price out this project? So, yeah, like I was saying, I just actually got estimates from the subcontractors uh, worked out roughly how long it was going to take me to do my part and I put a margin on top. Yeah. And these days you can do a bathroom in two weeks. Uh, how long did it take to finish that one? I think we did a th- three-week schedule, but um, it would have been a two-and-a-half-week job, yeah. Wow. Wow. So, and I guess in terms of um, pricing out and costing, uh, you just said that you had subcontractors estimate it. Um, did you estimate for time as well in the project? Yeah, so I would have understood what all my costs were going to be uh, in regards to subcontractors and then my internal team. So we would have demolished it ourselves, we tiled it ourselves, uh, we would have waterproofed it ourselves. I'm pretty sure we even rendered that one ourselves um, because we're capable of doing that. And um, I understood the time it would take or, or days to do. And um, like I said, I would work that out, apply a margin on top. I, I wasn't after making too much money on top in the first few jobs that we did, we were happy just to sort of start that process of getting customers. Oh, it actually leads on to a very interesting question. Yeah. How did the um, um, follow on with the customers go? How did you build that client base after that? And very, very slowly and very organically. So I, I don't know how many people sort of go out there and let's say you're a plumber and then you want to start renovating bathrooms you wouldn't generally stop plumbing and start renovating bathrooms. You bleed the bathrooms into your existing, I guess, workflow. So we kept tiling for for many years while we started renovating bathrooms. And like I've said it before where, you know, we renovated six bathrooms in the first year and that would have been just purely word of mouth. So someone who wanted a bathroom or knew someone through – some kind of connection and then from there it just slowly organically grew. Wow. And like with this word of mouth, did you kind of um, kind of help encourage that kind of spreading and the referrals in terms of that? Yeah, I, I'm not – I struggle with asking for things um, but at the end of the day when the customer's saying, you know, this is the best experience I've had – and thank you, thank you, thank you. I would just say, well, if you can just let people know, <laughs> that's that's the thank you I need. So that's that was my way of probably asking for, you know, if if someone if you're happy with our service, please let your friends and family know. Right. Yeah. 
<laughs> I guess that's what every business wants, right? Just yeah. like, yeah, let people know. Yeah. And yeah. And then, so you just, you did six bathrooms in the first year. Yeah. Um, what, uh, how was it when you were t- kind of like growing it? What were the numbers like after that first year? Did it grow dramatically? No, no. So I think we went, you know, it was like six, 12, 16, 24, 48, 72, 100 and 200 and then 300 and it's just gone slowly like that. Um, but the first three, four years, um, very, very slow. And that's intentional because I wanted to work on how I'm actually going to process this out and build a system to allow us to grow without just having a headache. So I think a lot of people go, okay, I'm just going to, I can do 50 bathrooms this year, but you, you, you can't if you don't have the team, the I don't know, the accountability, the transparency, all the things for you to be able to actually run it the way you've promised the customer to run it and deliver. Um, so we yeah, intentionally went super slow and it gave us time to identify um, costs involved, how long it would take to project manage a job, scheduling out um, any issues, let's say, with contractors or subcontractors. So, yeah, that's that's slow, slow, slow progression. I like that you you kind of raised the point that you didn't just really just jump in into bathrooms, especially since it is a big thing that you just kept on tiling and I gave you enough time and you didn't have to rush um, into doing things you didn't want to do. And then you got to perfect the process. So I'm guessing that's why you were, as you said, you were, you were kind of like reducing that job intake so you could just perfect the process and, and stuff like that. So within the early years, what were you kind of learning in terms of process? Um, it, w- it was more so for me, how, how can you actually grow without having to do everything yourself? So how am I going to get the plumber to do what he needs um, without me, not necessarily having to not be there. I was there pretty much all the time in the beginning, but how do you communicate to a, a trade or a customer or, or or build it out so there was, uh, let's say, not no, but as little as possible uh, chance of any errors or something not being done as promised. So it was just going through through that process, yeah. And did you feel any pressure to grow faster or you were just happy to just no, take your time? I, it's not like I've, I've seen to, that my... Um, Wanting to grow wasn't about making money. So I've seen people, you know, wanting to grow super quick and the reason they want to do that is for revenue and to make as much as possible. Ours wasn't about that. When we first started, I saw so many bad customer experiences and I just thought we can actually make this a lot better for the customer and the intention was to to create an overall experience, not see how quickly we can grow right and i guess when it comes in terms of the finances when you were kind of doing the business and going out on your own did you use any debt when you were doing your own business or was it just an organic kind of thing organic there wasn't any need to we were tiling making good money tiling i guess uh and just slowly like like i said even the first year um, you got to get a website. You got to do all these things. We just did them slowly, and we did it with our own with our own money. Uh, there was no need to go and get a loan for for that at all. Right. And then at this point, or let's just say, yeah, when you 
kind of did get off on your own business. We're kind of just jumping around the timeline, but I guess what kind of assets did you have when you were starting your business? A van and some tools and a mobile phone and I would have had a computer. It didn't need much sort of back then. Um, so, yeah, and it just slowly accumulated, I guess, um, more tools, more uh, and more tools, not necessarily, you know, like hammers, um, laptops and phones that had better capabilities, I guess, um, and just slowly accumulated those things. Right. And what were kind of like the biggest expenses that you incurred when you started the business? Um, probably things like websites back then are quite expensive compared yeah. to, and even they're expensive now, but um, yeah, probably something like that. But everything else was, again, I didn't go out there and spend a fortune to start it. I just slowly, slowly, slowly um, built it up. Maybe a car, like a car, like, a, you know, a vehicle. Yeah. Um, but, but nothing major. You didn't get the, like the temptation to get a new ute and get all the biggest tools and everything. No, look, and- I did have a new ute at one point, but yeah. no, in the beginning it was just a van. I, 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 even now we drive vehicles that are, uh, practical for what we do. Yeah. Right. And then how long did it take for you to kind of like, cause you were pretty hands-on at the start. How long did it take for you to kind of get off the tools and just kind of run just as a as a kind of manager and director, uh, probably eight eight years, eight nine years. Yeah, yeah. That that's how long it probably took from starting, um, renovating bathrooms. Yeah, maybe yeah, six, seven, eight years. Wow. There was a point there where it was like I was bottlenecking the business myself, so I was stopping growth because I. Um, was heavily involved in every aspect and then I kept refining systems and processes and and um, using software to be able to have visibility on things so I didn't have to actually be there and, and put more trust and responsibility in in the team. Can you walk us through like any major mistakes or setbacks that you were going through when you were kind of starting the business and running it? Um Major mistakes would just be, I would say, uh, hiring potentially not the right person for the right for the role. Um, I still, to this day, am probably naive on people's lack of honesty. Like it was just yesterday, I had someone was supposed to start working with us on Monday, and then they took a job elsewhere. Uh, even after knowing that they were going to come and work. And I'm like, okay, I'm putting trust in these people. Um, so so I'd, I'd say that like uh, I've probably been naive to uh, people's honesty and I've hired thinking that people are going to deliver what they've said uh, and slowly realised that uh, people's capabilities are in general – probably a lot lower than what they think. So, you know, you get people come on board and go, yeah, I can do this and I can do that. And yeah, don't worry, I'll sort it out. But they really actually don't know how to do it. And then I've put trust in some of these people and uh, I'd say they're they're the biggest lessons I've learned with people. And um, 
I'm slowly, hopefully getting better at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it's always like a risk that you got to factor in when you're having any relationship, whether that's, you know, a hire or if that's even a client, even a subcontractor, supplier. Um, you have to factor in that risk. And I guess, is that what you've done? You kind of accounted like this could happen and then you've figured out ways to kind of address it if that event rises I've tr- now? I've tried to proactively identify lots and lots of things that can happen and put myself in a position to not have to have many problems. So I, like I said, the biggest problems is is going to be people. And again, we've, we've, we've learned a little bit more about that. And we've put things in place in our recruitment uh, and how we onboard them and making sure they're capable to fulfill a role uh, that's, yeah, within their capabilities and not not past that and then help them progress, I guess. And I guess if you, looking back, if you could do it again, would you have started the business any differently? No, I, I, I remember one of, um, there was a people issue, a person issue, let's say, and I remember one of my guys coming up to me and saying, "Oh, if, uh, I bet if you knew that you wouldn't have, you would have done something differently." I'm like, "No, no, no!" Because if we didn't go through that, then how do we know about it? And then how do we actually progress? So there's absolutely nothing that I would say that I would. Ch- you, you can't. Like, how do you? You can't have the learning experience and then go. Oh, I wish I didn't have it. Like, there's been lots of little things like that and it's like yeah yeah, that's great and when they when they actually come um these little i guess um nuggets that come to you and go okay that's an issue and you go okay this is how i'm going to fix it in the future like how do you fix it if you don't have the issue so no definitely not Uh, i do i do remember super clearly in the beginning um being at a customer's house uh who he was running a very successful business at the time, uh, a bakery, a patisserie, and I just remember him saying to me, um, I said, I want to start renovating bathrooms, blah, blah, blah. Um, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And he just told me, he just said, just start, like just start. So I might have procrastinated a bit in the beginning, but even that, like you've you've got to learn those lessons. All right, well, Almost finishing up, I guess the last question is, um, do you have anything to share out there for um, the people who want to start a business? Uh, like I just said, one of the things that sort of pushed me was just just start, just do it. And then um, I, I strongly think, you know, that you have a, a long-term sort of patient mindset and you don't make these quick money decisions and you just build a solid base and take your time. Well, thanks for jumping on the podcast again, Steve. Thanks, Ben. Really appreciate having you on. And I hope you guys out there kind of learnt a little bit of um, of how to start a business through Steve's experiences. If you guys have any questions or any feedback, uh, feel free to just kind of leave it on the Navali Instagram or Facebook. And we'll put that in the show notes. And thank you for joining in. See you guys next time. 